0: You know, in our off-air conversations, I won't lie, Josh, I'm actually, you you fire me up about how strong you feel like the future of the Big 12 truly is. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, if you add Oregon and Washington and sure. pluck a couple of schools from the ACC, all of a sudden you should feel totally different about the future of the Big 12 conference. I don't think it's all that bad You know, minus OU and Texas in general, it's not going to, not going to come anywhere close to what the Big Ten and the SEC is going to get. We know that, but it's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be all that far behind what the Pac-12 minus USC and UCLA is going to get. Might be ahead of that, and I don't think it's going
0: to be much different than what the ACC
1: is going to get. So,
0: Hmm. well, but the ACC has; they're not able to renegotiate now. If here's what'll be very interesting just going forward. And and w- there, there's been great debate. We're going to debate about this guys until we finally get to the point where we start the season. It's just the reality of the passion we have for college football right now. But it's going to be interesting number one to see what these early numbers look like for what the Big 12 media deal might be and then of course first the Pac-12 media deal. But then the the caveat to all of this is if Jim Phillips, am I saying that right? I keep wanting to say John Phillips. That's our buddy up in Tulsa who runs the, the bus at all their stations. Yeah. If Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, can somehow convince ESPN, which I don't know what the business of going to ask for more money is like. I fail miserably in doing that in every walk of life. But if if Jim Phillips can persuade ESPN, uh, I guess Disney, ABC, and that whole crew, if he could persuade them to say, all right, listen, we understand our grant of rights. We're committed to each other, but you got to help us out on our media deal. We are not only a distant third right now, but there's a really good chance that we could fall to fourth once these new contracts are negotiated. If they can do that, and, listen, you know, so you're not going to get to $100 million a team, but maybe that strengthens the ACC a bit. But I don't know. That would be a bit of a give for, for ESPN given the, the amount of commitment that at the time they felt like they were given to the ACC, right? What's the onus for
1: ESPN exactly. to do that? Exactly. Why, Good, why would yeah. they just turn around and give you more money for exactly. no reason? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Unless, you know, Andy Staples has an article – that talks about the million-plus viewing games. I I don't have – I should have pulled it up before I started talking out of my backside. And it's kind of wild whenever you think about the teams that have been consistent draws for TV ratings. And not all of this is about TV. Most of it is. But if it was all about TV, then the Big 12 might not exist right now, and the American Athletic Conference could be what the Big 12 was, right? Because remember all of that and all those rumors. But, you know, the – the, the interesting thing to me is that when you talk about that million-viewer club, for the most part, one of the teams that consistently showed up – here it is. I found it. Okay. You're going to be blown away by this. Which teams cracked a million viewers the most? Two ACC teams followed by two Pac-12 schools. Now, again, and let's be very clear. In this group, is not SEC schools or Big Ten schools. This is kind of the rest. This is the Big 12 minus OU Texas, um, the Pac-12 minus USC, UCLA. This is kind of, Josh, um, who had, has been the, the TV ratings winners, all right? Now, I think the, the answer is obvious, right, for which school out of the ACC cracked more than a million viewers the most, right? Clemson. That answer is exactly, exactly. Clemson is one. 34 times did they surpass a million viewers. Florida State is two. With a whopping 31. 31. Um, Washington is three. Followed by Oregon and Miami. Now guess who's number six. Think about all the teams you have in this mix, right? You've got all the big 12 schools you've got all the acc schools you've got all the pac-12 schools you've got all the mid-major schools that you want to throw in there clemson florida state washington oregon miami are the schools that have topped over a million viewers the most over the last couple of seasons do you want to know who's sixth oklahoma state washington state
1: oh my goodness
0: so tell me how much sense that makes. It doesn't
1: make any sense. I
0: know. <laughs> makes from 2000. 2000- okay, and just real quick, this is a really good piece by Andy Staples. From 2015 to 2019, and in 2021, there were 914 rated regular season no conference title games televised, not involving Notre Dame or anyone who will be in the Big Ten or the SEC. Now again. That's 15, 16, 17, 18. That's five seasons. Uh, They didn't include 20 because of COVID and a sixth in 2021. So, like, for instance, um, I want to say, like, there's a couple of places that you would be played where your games aren't rated. Like, if you're on a conference network, you're not rated. Uh, I want to – Josh, I want to say Fox Sports 1 games aren't rated. I I could be wrong. But, anyway – 914 regular season games. All right, 284 of those games drew more than a million viewers. Now you're like, wow, that seems pretty good, right? By contrast, 732 of the 951 games involving the new Big Ten, the new SEC, and or Notre Dame drew more than a million viewers. So there's a massive disparity there and discrepancy. 117 games drew more than 2 million viewers. 47 games drew more than 3 million viewers. 27 games drew more than 4 million viewers. And Josh, of those, 14 games drew more than 5 million viewers. You want to know who six of those games that involved more than 5 million viewers was? It was (laughs) Army-Navy. Because there's nothing else going on on that Saturday. So just kind of some interesting numbers because we are in a world where, where numbers matter and where TV kind of really carries the water, if you will. But it's kind of fascinating when you think about and, – and, and in fairness, I mentioned Washington State was number six on that list. Oklahoma State and Utah were seven, right? Washington State had 21 games. Oklahoma State and Utah had 19. Um, Oklahoma State was the highest-rated Big 12 team by far. Uh, Baylor came in with 15 down the list. TCU and West Virginia had 14. So, um, I, I mean, these types of numbers matter, and TV has people that are constantly crunching numbers like this.
1: It does go to show you, though, just even from that right there from Andy Staples, boy, it would totally change the complexion of a negotiation for the Big 12 if they added Oregon, if they added oh, Washington. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and then all of a sudden you get those two into the mix playing, and I do think it gives you a chance to make a realistic push out of Clemson, out of Florida State. If the SEC and Big Ten legitimately are comfortable, at least for now, staying at 16, then all of a sudden if if you if you can get Oregon and Washington – Okay, well then, then you start getting serious about maybe Eclipse at Florida State, and if you do that, then guess what? Your TV deal's not going to be that far off from what the Big Ten and the SEC are getting. But that's very much a fairy tale dream.
0: Yeah you you, you, you sound like uh, you sound like you're writing for the smoking musket. Um, Go Pokes! Give me a couple of other Big Twelve blogs, the Ten Twelve blog, whatever it is. That's that's and I love it. It's pie in the sky. I ran out of them. But is it? There's a couple of good ones. Cyclone Report. What am I leaving out? The 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 fog. Phog. Yeah. There's there's some good ones out there. I I love the idea, but herein lies the question: Why would the Pac-12 or the ACC be talking about a loose relationship, yet there's no conversations about the Big 12 in any of that? I don't know. That's curious. That's been so confusing to me. So confusing to me. So uh, just put a wrap on this before we hear a little bit from Baker. I mentioned um, Andy Staples, and on the most recent edition of the Andy Staples show, Chris Vanini and Sam Kahn Jr. uh, talked about the Big 12 expansion business and what it might look like. Here's what this trio had to say.
1: Am I crazy for thinking the
2: Big 12 has an advantage here in that, they don't have to care if Oregon and Washington stay like that. That seems
1: like the big difference between the big 12 and the Pac-12. And the other, the other thing with the big 12 to me, at least if you look at the lineup, they'll have once Texas and Oklahoma leave. It feels like they have a stronger
2: middle than the PAC 12 does. Yeah. I think you, when you look at the Same ceiling time. for the programs that are coming in, because, because remember the programs that are coming in, have not been operating with the budget that the current big 12 schools are. So when you start raising that, and you think about the success that BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston have all had. The, the the conference is already good top to bottom. It's already competitive. It's really hard to go undefeated in that league. So now you add four quality programs who have had a history of success. You're going to raise the ceiling on those programs. And like you said, it's going to be a stronger middle. There is not going to be a big dog, you know, tentpole program that's a blue blood at the top anymore, but. When you add those four to Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas State, Tech looks like it could be on the rise if they recruited to the level they are now. Boy, it, it gets really, really thick. And so I think, to your point, would you like to have those ten pull programs like in Oregon or Washington? Absolutely. But I don't think you're going to die without them.
0: Which gets us to the story this morning from John Wilner, who writes, unless Pac-12 schools make a panic move – I wouldn't be surprised if they go the whole season before the future of the conference is resolved. "Quote unquote," there is no rush. It's kind of speaking your language right there, Josh Helmer.
1: No reason to rush, right? No, no big deal until they jump into the Big Twelve Conference. Oregon and Washington, then they can add <laughs> Clipson and Florida State. Life will be good. You know, something about uh, what they were talking about there, I thought was interesting. Does the Big 12 need that? I mean, look, tentpole program, if that's how you want to refer to it, obviously the Big 12 needs, quote-unquote, an Oregon or a Washington or if they could get anybody like that, right? Probably not going to happen. At least it doesn't seem that way. Not overnight. Let's talk about what the Big 12 will have minus Oklahoma, minus Texas. Is it best-case scenario for the Big 12 to have a, quote-unquote, pole program in baylor in oklahoma state in ucf cincinnati maybe uh i mean even a byu right could maybe turn into that does the big 12 need that is that is it okay for the conference to sort of just rotate musical chairs who's going to win that league or does it need it's It's not going to have an Alabama in terms of the perception, in terms of the stature, but you get what I'm saying. Does it need somebody to consistently win the league?
0: Dude, it's a great question. It's a great question. And I think for Josh Helmer, Chris Plank, um, for – for burly Boomer, for the Big Bad Wolf, for, you know, all of our regulars that check in on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, I think for Dallas, Bill, I think for us as fans, we look at it and say, oh, that's awesome, right? Because things that we usually complain about, oh, there needs to be more um, more balance, we need to have more – you're getting that in the Big 12, right? You would be getting that. I I love where someone would be like, well, balance – you had you had Baylor and Oklahoma State play in the Big 12 championship game last year, and, and 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 Baylor won the the Big 12 last year. Yeah, um, it, it was it was the first time that you'd have someone other than Oklahoma play in the Big 12 championship game and win it since its resurgence, and it was the first time that someone not named Oklahoma had won the Big 12 championship since what do we got to go back to 2014. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of balance in this league. Sure, you might have a better number, two One year it might be Oklahoma State. One year it might be West Virginia. One year it might be TCU or Texas or, or, or Baylor uh, or Iowa State. But in the end, who was always Oklahoma? Maybe now it does. And that's exciting to me, right? That's exciting. Well, we're going to be living our best lives in the SEC. But I think Big 12 fans can still be living their best lives because, I mean, and Lance Leipold's trying to build something at Kansas, so I'm not trying to dump all over him. But Josh, you just don't know. I think the TV networks—they want that. I'm stealing a term over and over. Tent pole program, but I think for fans, it makes it a little bit more exciting because of the unknown.
1: Yeah, it's any number of schools, right? Could rise up and right. be the power in this conference, or maybe it truly is a year-to-year basis. I just think that's fascinating. In basketball, you feel like, obviously, it would be Kansas, though. The league should remain really, really strong in basketball. Football, it's kind of who knows.
0: Quick break. Um, At the bottom of the hour, we're going to hear from Dave Aranda. We'll take you back to Arlington Live with our Big 12 Media Days coverage. I just dropped my sponsor sheet, which is brought to you by Elite Roofing Systems in Oklahoma. We're live from the falls of Brookhaven today. They're hopping, man. This place is really cool. They got a a pool. You get uh, some of the cool things you get, uh, modern open floor plans, huge walk-in closets. There's a courtyard and pool views, garage parking, security uh, pick up the phone and call him today. Seven zero one eight two three three. Or check them out at thefallsatbrookhaven.com. All right. Uh, quick segment here because we want to catch Dave Aranda at the podium at Big 12 Media Days. Our coverage brought to you by Elite Roofing Systems with Josh Helmer. I'm Chris Plank. Four zero five three two nine nine thousand. That's the Riverwind Casino. In my mind, jackpot line. And True Sooner has dialed us up. Good morning, True. What's going on, man?
3: I'm on the jackpot line. That's what I like. Money. Let's go. Cash. Money, man. Okay, let me ask you guys a question talking about this Big 12 conference. I'm trying to think. It's it's, it's kind of a – kind of a – you know, several questions, but I'm just going to try to get it through the best way that I can. So, they've added the four teams, the BYU, the uh, Central Florida, the – Cincinnati, Houston. Yeah, yeah. So, now – if they do get their dream and they do get Washington and Oregon, did Oklahoma and/or Texas? i and mostly I'm talking about OU here. I'm thinking of, I'm an OU fan. Did we jump the gun and leave too early? No. From a so no. You think it's all? You think no matter what happens, Oklahoma should have left? Yes. The SEC?
0: Yeah, they're they're set. This is, is that just one money? of them?
3: Is it just money? It no, just no, no, no. I think it's
0: everything. I think it's money. I think it's culture. I think it's reset the enthusiasm for the fan base. Um, I, I, I mean, Josh, you might disagree. I don't think there's If if you've got an opportunity to get to one of the elite conferences in college sports, look what it's done. And, and uh, I do have a, a take that I'm crafting for maybe an August morning where I – I do think Lincoln Riley leaving might end up being one of the best things that's happened to this program from a fan base perspective in a long time, but we'll get to that later. Um, I just I, – I feel like with everything that's happening around it, I think that's awesome for everyone else. And it's fun to see the chaos and know that you're set. I mean, Josh, they don't have to do anything. You're set in the SEC.
1: You're set, and you obviously financially, yeah, you're good there. Sure. The – rivalries that you take with you in Texas, what you can build with Arkansas. It just, yeah, I just think it makes sense for the type of program that OU is. And I said this several years ago in the aftermath of the Peach Bowl when Oklahoma had gotten embarrassed on the big stage one more time. My initial reaction that night on the post-game show with Tyler was, Oklahoma's never winning a national championship until they join the SEC. They're not. They're never getting back to the top of the mountaintop until they're in the SEC. And I still believe that. I, I just that's how I felt then. It's how I feel now. I think it's a you can't beat them, join them. And that might upset some people out there. I know it did that night, but it's the competitive element of it. To to get to the top, you've got to go get in the weeds with those guys and go beat them and what it can bring to Oklahoma's program I have said it for a long time a bunch of people have jumped on board since the recruiting angle to it to not get negative recruited that hey they're not really in the SEC they're not a part of the the, the top of college football now that's gone for OU so there's so many advantages to it uh, are you okay I'm yeah, just... yeah yeah I'm just
3: okay all right I'm doing something over here um, I I did hear one of the. uh, Hold on, let me me get this guy. I did hear something the other day. I did hear one of the recruits that oh, you got one of the big, one of the big guys they got. I did hear him mention that one of the reasons that one of the guys name, the defensive tackle they just got uh, Ogle. I can't pronounce his name now, Uh, but anyway, whoever it was, he he did bring up the fact they were going to the SEC and he wanted to play with the best. So I think it does, I think it does matter that to recruits that they're going to the SEC.
0: Listen, I, and, True, I appreciate your phone call. Uh, Josh, man, you're 100 you, know. you and I agree 100% on this. If if you're you're somebody in the crimson and cream that looks at this and there's a FOMO, I think, right? There's a fear of missing out that applies to all of us. And when you see all this, you're like, man, we could still dominate this league. And, you know, now there's all this buzz about getting – well, what happens if they don't get Oregon and Washington? The Big 12 is still a 12-team league, and they're going to make a lot of money. Not what they could have made with Oklahoma and Texas in their next media rights deal. And guess what Oklahoma and Texas are going to do? They're going to compete against the elite. And you know what it's done? It's spurned change. Those, those changes that Josh Elmer talked about on the post-game show after the Peach Bowl are happening. Have you driven by campus recently? Drive down Lindsay. You know what's not there anymore on the corner of Lindsay and Jenkins? The bud, Gone. New facility being built there. You know what? When Brent Venables said, we're stripping it to the bolts, he's not lying. And they are building a culture that can compete in the SEC. Uh, Baker Mayfield said it best. Whenever, you remember what his last phrase, what the last thing he said after uh, talking to the crowd at halftime? He said, OU football is back. Well, we never really win anywhere, but we're still back. And that phrase has just resonated with me since he said it. OU's been in the national championship picture. But what is that outside of one year, 2017, what's been the natural reaction when Oklahoma gets into a four-team playoff in the past, Josh? <sighs> well, here comes – I'm going to get smoked in the semifinal. Oh, we got to
1: watch Oklahoma play in a semifinal again. Right, these exactly. guys never win these games. They don't even <laughs> deserve to be here.
0: You know, all of you that have been of the mindset of, well – I don't want to just get there. Guess what? Here you go. Those get the confidence of Ted. I mean, you see that kind of confidence from a dude that's about as grounded as there is. That gets me pretty fired up. All right, let's um, let's do something crazy here, Josh Elmer. Let's take a break on time, and when we come back, let's all we'll hear take from a nap the- together we're going we're going to get lulled to sleep by the dulcet tones of Dave Aranda as we take you back to Arlington and Big 12 Media Days brought to you by Elite Roofing Systems with the Plank Show on the road at the Falls at Brookhaven right here on the Home Center fans. All right, we're getting ready to head to Arlington. Josh is getting the feed all uh ratcheted up. It's it's really to be honest, I'll one thing that I thought when the the Big 12 and Fox Sports, they would just put everything uh, on Fox Sports. Now ESPN's got to have the separate stage, and it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing against the, the crew, but it's kind of like, ah, yeah, just, how many different entities do we need to have? So there's a separate feed, and because your boy is uh, is currently in negotiations on upgrading his ESPN Plus package, I have to count on Josh – I have to count on Josh to pull up his ESPN Plus right now, so we can listen to Dave Aranda coming up in just a bit. You know the, the interesting thing that I uh, in doing a little Baylor research as we talk about the team that heads into this season as the Big Twelve favorite, they lost a lot of names, right? They lost they lost a lot of guys, and I wrote about this last night on our on our show blog. That we saw get drafted, and the names like the Jalen Petries, the Terrell Brandons of the world, the Tyquan Thornton—they lost dudes to to transfer, but in uh, Jerry Bohannon. But I, I'm not even gonna lie to you. When I saw that they were returning seven starters on both offense and defense, I was a little bit blown away. Now, in fairness, in fairness, I think there was some liberties taken with that number because Blake Shapen was considered a returning starter when he started two games last year, uh, which is a little bit dicey. Uh, They considered one of their offensive linemen a returning starter uh, that had only played a couple of games last season. But for the most part, the core uh, is back on their offensive line. They have four returning offensive linemen starters. Defensively on their defensive line is really solid. They brought in the Tulsa transfer as well. Um, Dylan Dylan Doyle looks like he is going to be a guy – that uh, is going to step up and be what you know they thought they were going to have in 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 Brandon defensively last year. So it is it is absolutely positively fascinating to think about how much it appears that Baylor has lost, but in all reality, you know, Josh, as we wait for Dave Veranda to take the dais, they're still pretty stacked. I mean, there is there is a reason beyond just. You know, that they won last year that many would view them as the favorite. They've got a lot of good talent coming back despite everything they lost.
1: Offensive line, defensive line, they're really good there, which obviously that's where it starts. And I think there's a ton of respect, right, for Dave Aranda as a coach. I mean, I, I think so much of it with them being the favorite is just that.
0: You know, um I, I was I saw the on three here I saw the on three preview. And it was, it was really. Here's Aranda, by the way. He's starting as oh. we speak. Oh, okay. Let's. We'll get to that in a bit. Let's listen to Dave Aranda in his opening statement. Because he's making his um, way I'm to so the podium.
4: So humbled, and I'm blessed to be here, representing Baylor, and um, you know, here with with some uh, some of our team, and here with you guys. You know, um, you know, I go back to um, to last season. You know, just being in this very building, and and you know the. The, the continuum of, of faith on one side to belief on the other and just kind of how that season progressed and, you know, so appreciative of last year's team, of the, our players that are about to enter training camp uh, that have left us um, some players that are on new teams um, and to the coaches maybe that have moved on and support staff that's moved on. Just way appreciative of them. Um, Obviously the the guys that are returning both uh, you know, players and staff uh, very thankful for them. And you know we look at like this is a brand new team. You know was talking earlier of after you know, every Sunday during the season we would meet as a staff and talk about you know we have ourselves a brand new team today. And so with football being a game of random events and setbacks. Our ability to um, um, to uh, address what's real and to not take into to a reality, you know, preconceived notions or maybe um, you know wishes or any of that. I think it's just so important. You know, to get where you're going, you have to start where you are. And um, since January, that's been our task is to do that. And I think it starts with you know, our brand new team. It starts with making everybody available, which is way difficult to do. We were talking about that earlier. I think, you know, it just seems that, you know, and I'm way included in this, just that um, people in general have a way of getting in their own way. And so to make each, to make everybody available is just very, is is um, a daily thing. And just the strength the strengths and the, um, you know, the um, the power that comes with living fully who you are and not trying to be anybody else and knowing that you're enough. I think that's such a strong thing, and I think football is a great vehicle. Is a great vehicle for that. You know, I think we weekly and daily. Uh, talk about the task within a task. And so I think, you know, in whatever we're doing, what are we really doing when we're doing what we're doing? And so the, you know, to get the motivation really honest, to get the intention really clear, uh, so that we can, you know, uh, live daily with integrity. And I think, you know, if we hold ourselves to that standard and we attack it day after day after day after day, then um, we can transform. You know, I think for our staff, um, it's been a challenge to incorporate and include and to forgive uh, maybe things that have been looked at as disadvantages. You know, um, maybe it's a it's a player or it's a skill set or it's a it's a it's a building, it's a meeting room, it's a whatever it is, and I think to um, include and say yes to it all you know um, is our is our secret sauce and I think it's difficult to do and I think the challenge is to always be open-minded and open open have your heart wide open for all of it um, excited for this coming season I think the 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 schedule bears out a bunch of uh, road games <laughs> and so we're We've been preparing for that. As um, the off season's kind of gone on, I think you know trying to uh, be at our best when it is. The hardest is going to be a common theme for us, and so I think uh, that's something that we will continue to talk about and work work towards. Uh, But I think you know with the returning depth on our O line and D line, we're looking to be led by big men. You know I feel the the skill is very talented It has to emerge um, in, you know, under the lights and all of it. And we're training in the dark right now for all of that to happen. And so excited for this team and for this season. You know, with that, I'll take any questions you guys got.
0: If you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll get right over here, right off the start. Anybody over here, we'll get you set up. Okay, we'll get a mic to you. Let's open up right over here, far side. Want to stand up, please, and ask your question again your affiliation and your name. Newey Scruggs, NBC5 here in Dallas. Hi, Coach. Uh, I hear that you are an avid reader, and I needed to ask you, what are you reading right now?
4: There's there's a book by uh, Sean Ginwright, it's called The Four Points, it's about social change. It's really good, I think there's some points in there where he talks about you know going from transactional to transformational, and he talks about going from a lens to a mirror. Where we're, all, we're all kind of trained to critique and label and look out but you know the hardest look is um, looking in the mirror you know, the, as they say the mirror doesn't lie so that's a really good one you know there's a bunch of books by Richard Rohr that I love um, Brene Brown's another author that I love yeah. alright
1: right over there
2: Uh, Dave, Curtis Quillen, KCEN Channel 6 in Waco. I think you knew this question was coming. What led to the decision to switch quarterbacks this season and go with Blake Shape and under center?
4: Um, Well, I appreciate the question. There was, throughout the spring, you know, um, I appreciate both, um, you know, Sean Bell and our offensive staff for really being intentional and um, very open and honest about kind of where things were and what the expectations were and all of it. Felt really good about how that was laid out. And then I think, you know, the competition between Blake and Gary, I thought was, was really strong. And the communication was, like I say, always wide open and ongoing. And just at the end of it, it just became apparent, with, especially with the spring game. I think that was a factor in it. But at the end of it, it just became apparent that that Blake was our better passer. And, you know, just very difficult for me. Because I I think the, always look at people uh, before I look at players. And um, I think in this one, we had to look at, we had to look at, you know, who could be the better player for us and not really incorporate the person which is just kind of the opposite of, um, of what I usually do. And so it just became a very difficult thing. you know, I think with Gary, like, you know, um, there is no me without Gary. There is no last year without Gary. There's none of that. And, um, you know, you walk in my house, I've got pictures of my kids, you know, um, you know, posing next to Gary. And so it's just, it's just, um, it's just kind of a crazy thing. So it's very difficult to do. And I think, you know, we um, we talk quite a bit about person over player and just that, uh, you know, to create a culture where you're coming from value and you're going out in the world and it's a win or a loss or whatever it is, but you can come back knowing that you're still loved, man. You're still, it's okay. And how different that is than you know, trying to do stuff for value. And so I just think, you know, looking at Gary and and his predicament and wanting the best for him, I think it was the fair thing to do
0: was to make that move early. So there you go, little Dave Aranda. What is Nui Scruggs asking about freaking books for? You get the first question of Dave Aranda. Yeah, Dave, uh, Nui Scruggs here. You read any good books recently? That's like the last question that you ask. There's 8,000 questions about Baylor football right now. Hey, conference kind of fell apart uh, and then rejuvenated itself. You see what's going on in the Pac-12. You got a thought on that? Playoff realignment got shot down. You got a thought on that? Uh, you got a new quarterback, at least a quarterback question got asked. Jalen Petrie, a heat-seeking missile, is now gone to the NFL. How do you rebuild and reload that position? What changes in year two with an offensive coordinator and Jeff Grimes, Jeff Graves, whatever, who seemed to do an incredible job? How has the process been in recruiting without Joey McGuire there? No, Josh, the first question out of the books is is a freaking question about books. What are we doing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing Dave Aranda didn't respond with
1: his favorite moment from Cat in the Hat or anything Dr. Seuss-related since, obviously, uh, we had to ask oh about a book a, a book. Books, a book I, I did
0: laugh, though. Jesse is hilarious. Uh, Dave Aranda is quite the wordsmith, right, uh, on the Air Conference Solutions text line, what we are doing when we're doing what we are doing. <laughs> what? And, and it's kind of funny because it's one of those things when you first hear it, you're like, "That doesn't make a lot of sense," and then you think about it, you're like, "Oh, okay, it's uh it's kind of a unique slant on coach speak." It's like Brent Venables: "How you do anything is how you do everything." Love that one. But yeah, there's there's a there's a little bit of of work smith or wordsmithing, I guess is the way to put it. With Dave Veranda, Do you buy what he was selling though on Blake Shapin? I, I do. do. Yeah. I do.
1: Yeah. And I thought that was very telling what uh, he had to say right there. I mean, he kind of told it exactly like he saw it. Blake Shapin, in their mind, as compared to Gary Bohannon, was the better passer. And therefore, for Baylor to take the next step as a program, in his mind – that was the option that they needed to take. It's no slide on Gary Bohannon as a person. Obviously, he cares a lot about him in that uh in that respect. But Blake Shapin, what he can add that dimension to their offense down the field. It is a little frightening to think about if Baylor was able to accomplish what they did last season. If Blake Shapin is is this season what they think that he can be, then uh that, that will be a different dynamic for Baylor. And I thought it was Pretty refreshing from Dave Aranda to be that open and honest about it. Yeah.
0: So many times it's, well, you know, he's good quarterback. We just, you know, we made a decision that we thought was best for the team, and that's it. I absolutely, positively loved that answer. I loved it. Hey, we thought the guy could throw the ball a little bit better uh, because, Josh, if there was one thing that was pretty obvious, uh, Gary Bohannon could not throw the football to the level that you need in order to have success, I think, uh, at the highest level consistently. All right, quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap up with uh, a couple of the Baylor players and what they've had to say. Lance Leipold getting ready to meet with the media as well. This is The Plank Show. Good When I decide to start working on something when there's one second left in a commercial break. Sorry, Josh. We're brought to you today – well, we're on the road today at the Falls of Brookhaven. Uh, You know, it's always interesting – the crew here has been great is when you go to a place that Teddy usually is, is on site, the disappointment in people's eyes when they see <laughs> that it's me is very similar. Josh to the disappointment. Whenever someone thinks I'm Toby, it's like Toby Rowland, I'm like, ah, you know what? It's man, similar to. Yeah, that's what it's similar. To. It's
1: similar to the disappointment. When Josh Helmer shows up, Oh, where's plank this morning?
0: Nah, not at all. Not at all. You got. You're, you're much better looking and have more energy than I do anymore. But yeah, I I walked in this door today and I could just sense there's a little disappointment. It's like you're not Teddy. Like there were three people here and they're all gone now. So I just I'm trying, Trev. I'm trying, Trev. But here at the Falls, it's it, they're open for business. To steal a term from Brett Yorman, um, and they're they're near capacity. So you got to get in here and get things. If you need apartment living, uh, they hook you up. Falls at com. All kinds of cool amenities and surroundings. They've got garage parking available, uh, pet parks, 24-hour emergency maintenance, and Internet Cafe. That's, that's where I'm hanging out today on the show in their Internet Cafe. So check them out uh, if you're looking for apartment living. Uh, you know what? This is a fair point on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, Jay in Dallas from Stillwater. That's quite a name, Jay. Writes... I actually like the book question. I love to hear when coaches spend their time doing mental exercises in the process of creating their coach speak and philosophy. Listening to BV, Sabin, and even Jimbo is motivating someone like John Wood. Listen, I, I don't disagree with you. I love it whenever we get in depth like that. But the first question out of the gate? I mean, there's so much going on. That's your QBS stuff. That's your quality bull bleep stuff. That's when you get to, all right, we're a little bit later. Everyone's asked about things. I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. But really? Uh, hey, uh, Coach, big book reader. What are you reading? Yeah, let's get that later. What are we doing?
1: Yeah, no, that's a bi-week question. Yeah. That is not <laughs> a love Big hey, 12 Media Days question.
0: I'm not. Jay in Dallas from Stillwater. I'm not disagreeing with you. You and I think the same way, but i don't uh and then one more real quick from the 913 before we wrap up this hour do you guys think aranda will be as big of a pain in the backside for bv as he's been for lincoln the last few years he's a hell of a coach i i think that's a great question i absolutely do um i think chris kleinman is going to be a pain in the backside but to me it, it's funny that do you remember the dude that I retweeted a couple days ago and his Big 12 preseason poll had, like, Oklahoma State fifth and OU sixth and he had Iowa State third, and someone got after him in his mentions and said, well, what about Jeff Levy's offense? He's like, it's going to be something different. And his point was, yeah, it's nothing new, surprise you because Art Bryles did it and that was pre-John Haycock. Well, if you're going to pretend as if every single offense is figured out, then that would be the case for every team in this in this league right now. It's just everyone's going to have an advantage uh, based on the new, and then people are going to adjust. But yeah, I I think this whole league is stacked with really good coaches that are going to be a pain in the backside, and Aranda is among the best. So is Brent Venables. Quick break. Newcastle top five stories today. Next.